Well, good morning. Good to be with you all once again. And good to hear of progress being made on the possibilities of new pastor and this great relationship that you've established uh, with the folks in, uh, in Orland. That is all very, very encouraging. So we're going to start things off and to focus our attention on Genesis 2, 8 through, I'm going to read 8 through 17. I'm not exactly sure what I gave you all, but that's what I'm going to read. Anyway, so you might want to follow along. I hope it jives with, uh, with what uh, is on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is our joy and our need to gather in this place today. And this is why this room is turned into literally a sanctuary, because it's where we, your people, meet with you, our God. And we lift up and unite our voices in prayer, prayer and praise to your name. For you are indeed a great and mighty God, creator and Lord of all things, and you are also our gracious Redeemer through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, we also compose our hearts and minds now before you and pray that, O oh Lord, you would engage us with your word, that you would speak words of truth and life to us, and that embracing them we might have life. So Lord, open our hearts and minds to your word. Give us ears to hear eyes to see now we pray in Jesus name amen well I think I've mentioned before that sometimes it's kind of hard to decide uh, what to preach on on a given on Sunday so after lots of consideration I just said well today we're just going to preach on the whole Bible just going to do the whole thing 
We're going to cover the Bible from beginning to end here. The Bible in Cinemascope. The Bible in its grand panoramic vision. Okay? So you ready? Buckle up, because here we go. The gist, that the thing that's going to help us connect all the dots uh, this morning, is that the whole story of the Bible is a story of reconciliation and restoration. It's the story of what God has done and is doing to bring us back into a relationship with him, back to this Garden of Eden. And that's where our story begins, in a beautiful park, a garden called the Garden of Eden. Now, one of the things that I, I, I just bet that almost all of us here find attractive, enjoyable, and relaxing is spending time in a beautiful garden or a park. And especially these days, I, they're coming, I know, where we can do this uh, again. It, it's just around the corner. At least I'm telling myself that. But just love going to places like Cantini. I don't know if you've ever been out there and, and walked to those incredibly gorgeous gardens that are there. I love walking through the Chicago Botanical Gardens. I like going to the Morton Arboretum. Just all sorts of, at the Starved Rock, it doesn't matter. Places where there's trees and there's flowers and there's beauty and there's often a flowing river or a creek or a lake or something that will always seem to be attracted to cool, clean, flowing water. All these things are just so beautiful and attractive. They're symbols of life, it seems like. And I believe all of this says something very significant about us. It's like it when we are in these gardens and parks and all these beautiful places, it's like it strikes a primal chord within us. It's almost as if something inside of us are saying, this is how life is supposed to be lived. With harmony and beauty and order and peace. Because this is what God created us for. It is how life is intended to be lived. And we see in Genesis 1 uh, this description of creation and of man in the Garden of Eden, which literally means, the word Eden just means the word park. It's the word for park. Uh, and we have parks, of course, all over our, our communities. Uh, the Greek translation of that word is paradisos, which is where the, we get the word, of course, paradise. And it's almost as if every park we build in our community, or every garden in our backyard, whatever it might be, is almost like a hint, a reminder of this, that this is our roots. This is where we belong. This is how life is supposed to be lived. It's almost if, it's, if it God has put a, like a homing device in, in all of us. So that we see that something triggers that in us. That there's something deeper, more meaningful here. It, uh, it, if any of you have seen the movie, I know these things date me. It's a great movie. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, 
really, really good movie. No, I like that one. But it's, you know, Richard Dreyfus, you know, these other people are in it. And it's, it, they've had this encounter, they don't even know it, with this alien life form who seems to have planted inside each of them this psychological vision of a, of a, of a mound or a mountain. And so whether he's eating mashed potatoes or doing work in his yard or whatever, he keeps building these mounds and he doesn't know what's a, attracting him to this. But eventually this leads him to this devil's peak out in the West where they have this close encounter of the third kind. And it's almost as if God has put something like that in us with parks and gardens and forests and all these other sorts of things. See, the Garden of Eden in the Bible describes both a place and a condition. It is, first of all, a very real Place. And the text goes out of, the way, out of its way to make sure we get that. That's why I read those verses about the, the rivers and the gold and the bedellium, all that. It wants you to understand this is a real place. We're not just talking story land or fantasy land. This is a real place that God really did establish in this world. And it's a place where man was originally created and where everyone, in this case Adam and Eve, could enjoy a special harmonious relationship with God. Eden was not the limit uh, of man, you might say, or it was not the limit of the whole world. You, you had a planet that was full of animal and plant life that was available to Adam and Eve, but Eden was a temple. Eden was that special place that God dwelt and where he had access to his people and we could have fellowship with him in a deep and intimate sort of way. To live life in harmony with God, in harmony with one another, in harmony with the created order. And man's job was not just to enjoy it, but to work it, to rule it, and subdue it to the glory of God describes life in its totality and is designed to answer man's most fundamental questions, which is, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the purpose of life? And all those questions ultimately find their focus at the Garden of Eden. It says this is what life is all about. This is how life is supposed to live. And it's all about deep, loving relationships with God, with one another, with creation itself. But of course, we know how the rest of the story goes. At least the next couple of chapters. It tells us what went wrong. Why things are not this way. Why obviously life is not always so wonderful. As a matter of fact, we see it's too often exactly the opposite. And so we can look around at the, the scriptures, the rest of its testimony. We can look around at the world around us and see the pain and the violence and the sorrow and the injustice and the suffering and the death that's all around us. And even this beautiful created order, even though we have parks and this sort of thing and gardens that remind us that this is our home and this is our destiny, there's still often there's too much pollution of these elements. And there's disease, and there's natural disasters, and it tells us every single time things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are fundamentally broken now. 
And ours is now truly the story of paradise lost, to quote Dante. And why? Because ultimately man didn't want God to be his God. He didn't want God to be in his life. He wanted to decide for himself what to do and how to live life. Man wanted to decide for himself what was right and wrong. Man wanted to decide for himself what is good and evil. I will make up the rules. Nobody, not even God himself, is going to tell me how to run my life. And that is the fundamental dynamic that has characterized mankind ever since. And we have, of course, then suffered from and produced the world in which we live. Because eating of the fruit was not just this deliberate act of disobedience, it was outright rebellion. And it really does show the insanity of sin that having been given everything like this, we still said, I want it on my own terms. And when God says I couldn't have one thing, like a kid who wanted the one toy he couldn't play with, that's what he wanted. And that's what he was going to have. As a result, we find ourselves driven from Eden. No longer able to know and enjoy the fellowship with God for which we are created and intended. And we see that man now hides himself from God. There's guilt and there's shame that constantly rules in our lives and that we carry around with us all the time. We hide from God. We hide from one another. And there's blaming that we see that goes on here. And there's alienation. We see the breakdown of family and society. Cain kills Abel and everything just seems to go into a downward spiral. Man's relationship to nature and creation is cursed. And there's hostility and death and every dimension of life is now under the judgment of God and experiences the brokenness of sin. Now, all of this, which is really just encapsulated in the Garden of Eden in these first three chapters of Genesis, this account helps us then to understand why things are the way they are in life and to understand and appreciate the rest of the story of the Bible. The message of the gospel itself. It's a story of rescue, of reconciliation, of restoration, of God progressively bringing us back to Eden. Back to himself. That is the theme of all of the scriptures. If somebody wants to ask you one day, I've never been able to make sense of the Bible. There's just so many crazy things in there. Uh, What is the Bible all about? This is what it's all about. It's bringing you back to Eden. It's a story of rescue, restoration, of reconciliation with God. And this is where we have to pick up steam to make it all the way to the end in Revelation. And it starts with Abraham. That Abraham in Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham for himself, and then through Abraham begins to build a nation in that land, and they're called Israel. Israel ends up finding themselves in Egypt and under oppression. They are delivered, and they are brought to the promised land. All of this is going on as God is working out his plan. And the promised land is designed to be a picture 
a prefiguring of heaven and eternal life. It's a land, we're told, flowing with milk and honey. It is a land where they will be ruled by God's laws. That's why he gives them the Ten Commandments. There will be a restoration of reconciliation with God, living life under his lordship in a land that is full of milk and honey. And what do they do during this time? They build for themselves under God's command and with all sorts of details spelled out in the scriptures. These are the passages that nobody could read. You know, because you get about 10 verses in, your mind goes numb. You kind of think. But the point is, the details of the tabernacle and then eventually the temple are so important. So during their journey in the wilderness, they build for themselves a tabernacle, which is a portable temple. And then they eventually build the, the temple itself. And when you see the descriptions, what do you begin to realize the temple and the tabernacle were supposed to be? They were supposed to be Eden. The temple is Eden. And that's why you have carved on the walls all the palm trees and all the pomegranates and all the other things that are there. It's supposed to remind you, you come back to Eden. And the only way you do that is through the altar where the sacrifices are performed. And that you then get to approach the living God who dwells in the temple through the sacrifices that are provided. You get to come back to Eden. This was the picture that characterized the life of the, of the Israelites all through their history. This was the, whether they could read or write or do whatever, they had a visual picture of the gospel. We can only come back to God. We can only come back to Eden through the sacrifice. And then we can come into his beautiful temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's an incredible place that they had built. That's who, that's what the temple was all about. That's what it prefigured. And then we move on into the New Testament. See, we just did the whole Old Testament, real quick. Now we're in the New Testament, and what do we find in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. But what does that word, if you're looking at your scriptures in John 1, you'll see the note there that says when God dwelt among us, it literally says he templed among us. He tabernacled amongst us. What does that mean? It said everything in the Old Testament about all that stuff with the tabernacle and the temple. That represented God's presence amongst his people. That represented how we could be restored in our relationship with God through the sacrifice of lambs who are sacrificed on the altar. So Jesus comes. He tabernacles amongst us. He is God's presence among us. And he is the one by whom we have access to God because he's the Lamb of God himself who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why Jesus would say, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I am God and I am the presence of God among you and I'm the way back to God. It is now found in me, not in a building, not in anything else. It is found in and through me. He is the Lamb of God who fulfills all the sacrificial system. Everything about the sacrificial system was designed to point to him. Everything about the tabernacle and the temple designed to point to him. He is the Lord of glory now who rules our lives in love. And then it just keeps getting better. As we move out of the Gospels and the Paul's epistles, what is the imagery that we now start to find? He says, we have the Holy Spirit. 
We now have God's presence in our hearts. And what does Paul say? Do you not know that your body is a what? Temple of the Holy Spirit within you. And he says in another place, don't you know, your body is now a temple. You are a temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. What do we see happening? God is progressively restoring his presence, first in a building and through a sacrificial system, then in the person of his own son, Jesus. And now within the hearts of his people, we become the locus of God. His spirit dwells within us. We become his temple, and we're supposed to treat this temple accordingly. And now we get to experience his actual presence because the only ones who get the Spirit are the ones who have come into the Holy of Holies through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can now again experience, not just theoretically, not even just in in the person of Jesus, but in his presence in our hearts. Enjoy his love, know his peace, know his joy, know the life that comes from him that will transform all dimensions of our lives. And finally, where do we end up in Revelation? See, we're there. We made it. Where do we end up in the last two chapters of Revelation? Where the story started was Eden. Where does it end? In Eden. That's where all of this comes together. And so the second part of the scripture reading, maybe it's going to go up there. Did I give you that? Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the temple of God is is with man. The tabernacle of God is with man. It's all come full circle. He will tabernacle or temple with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor anything else anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the imagery that ties all of the scriptures together. This idea of this tabernacle, this idea of temple, God's presence in our midst. And with the temple, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and then all of it tied together, all of it where God is in our midst and we temple with him forever. And then in 22, verses 1 through 5, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The rivers are back. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the street, city of the city. On every side of the street was the tree of life. Where did we last see the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden. Where does it appear next? It appears in Revelation 22, the last chapter. We are restored to Eden. It covers the roads. And there are 12 kinds of fruit from the tree of life, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the story of the Bible. This, these are your roots. This is your destiny. This is where you belong. This is who you are. This is what life is all about. This is why you exist and where you're headed. All of these things are descriptions, ultimately, of heaven itself. And even when, and the whole idea of why churches have had worship centers like this is that we're, every time we come into a Sunday morning like this, and we are able to make this place as beautiful as we can or want it to, because it's supposed to be a reminder that this is where we're going. We come from Eden. We're going to Eden where we get to be with God, all of it made possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus who is, the, who is God in human form. Jesus who lived the perfectly righteous life. Jesus who offered himself on the cross, who suffered and died, taking your judgment, your suffering, your pain, everything you deserved, he took upon himself. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he rises from the dead, offers us new life, which we can experience as a foretaste by the Holy Spirit. And someday you're going to enjoy in full in the temple of God in his very presence. This is who you are. This is where you are going. If there was a message of the, of the if there's a gospel invitation, the way it would sound in, in this case is, it's time to come home. That is, in the most simple, relational way you can put it, it's time to come home. That is, is the message of the gospel. That is the invitation that we extend through mission, through evangelism, and everything else to the whole world. It, it's not just about rules and regulations and all this stuff. It's about coming back home to what, what you were created for, for whom you were created for, the one true living God, and to be in his presence, and to love him, to love one another, to enjoy his beautiful, restored creation throughout all of eternity. Jesus invites you to come home, to come back to Eden, to who you really are, how life is really intended to be lived. And if that is not something you have done so yet, whether you're listening to this, Facebook or otherwise, don't leave today without bowing your heart and your heart, your heart and soul to the living God who has done all of this to bring you back to himself. You have a home. He goes to prepare a place for you. There will be a place for you in his temple. And if this is something you have done, if you are a believer, oh, the hope that is yours in Christ. You can experience it now in a foretaste by the Holy Spirit. And someday he's going to usher you into his presence. You will look into the face of the God who created you in the face of Jesus. And he's going to say, in effect, one way or the other, welcome home. It was a heck of a journey. We had to go through an awful lot to make this happen. But welcome home. This is the message of the scriptures. This is who you are, where you came from, what you are destined for.
Let's take a moment to reflect on these things and respond back to him in prayer. Father, really the things we've talked about that your scriptures have showed us really transcend our ability to wrap our heads around. These are really eternal, transcendent realities. But you have made them accessible to us through Jesus. Thank you for all you have done to launch a plan of rescue a plan that would bring about reconciliation and restoration, that you brought it to fulfillment in Jesus, and you offer it to us as a gift, because you have paid all the price. Please, O oh Lord God, I pray for, for many people to come into this relationship with you, and to know the sweetness and the security of your presence in their lives forever, and that everyone here, would increasingly comprehend the wonder and the joy of their own salvation, of what you have done for us and what is waiting for us. Lord, let these truths, let these realities sink into our hearts, our minds, our souls and shape how we live our lives, how we live together as a body of believers and what we look forward to in heaven itself. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.